Couchfish, Sustainable Vietnam, Part 2, Three Kinds of Gold. A quick word of introduction, particularly to the 500 odd, odd new subscribers I seem to have picked up over the last week. Thanks, Substack Notes. My name is Stuart MacDonald, and this is Couchfish, the perfect tub of ice cream for the traveller stranded on the couch. The newsletter has a paid edition which traces a fantasy itinerary through Southeast Asia and a free edition that covers, well, everything else. You're reading the latter here, but if you'd like to read the former, you can upgrade your subscription via the button below. Thanks. Earlier this year, I spent a few weeks in Vietnam travelling at tail to top. I wanted to see how things were picking up in these waning pandemic times but I also had sustainable travel on my mind. Was it possible in Vietnam? In this, the second part of a three-part series, I'm in the middle of the country, thinking about hotels, hospitality, and the environment. You can read the first part here. Sorry for the radio silence over the last week. I came down with COVID. Way. Sustainability's many ways. When it comes to beauty, there's only one way to approach Vietnam's once imperial capital, by train from the south. Leaving Da Nang's crass glass and brass towers behind, we crawl along one of Southeast Asia's most beautiful stretches of railway. As the towers fade to the horizon, steep cliffs plunge into the sea by lonely crescents of sand. I lose phone coverage, so there's nothing to do but gaze, and the mostly local passengers step out of their couchettes to gaze beside me. My Huey Hotel, Maison Vitrivienne, is set down a back alley within the walled old city, and when I finally find it, I wonder if it's even open. The gate locked and nobody home, I'm on my phone double-checking when the young boy lets me in, to the family home. Later, I'm chatting to owner, Duk, who gives me a potted history of the house. He tells me he was born inside, and it dates to 1969, a date I confirmed three times as building the house within a year of the Battle of Hue would have been an interesting time to have been laying brick. The house has nine rooms, and while he closed for a stretch during the pandemic, he reopened soon after Vietnam did. The mostly European clientele arrived courtesy of booking and Airbnb, and while Duke's French is more polished than his English, he's comfortable chatting with me as he seeks, sneaks a furtive cigarette out front. Business is good, and he's full for almost the entirety of my stay. I'm in Hue for a conference, and on the final day, Nguyen Van Puk, the, the director of Hue Tourism, gives a presentation. He discusses Hue developing itself as a wellness destination, something I'd never considered tying to the city. This is the second presentation along this theme, with Hilton Lipkin, the then GM of Alba Wellness, on a similar tack. The director talks about the lucrative niche wellness represents and of exploiting more of the hinterland springs. He's focused on more, 
more resorts, more facilities, more tourists, more money, all the while dovetailing the surround's natural beauty with Hui's food and traditional medicines. To my mind, he's missing the forest for the trees. As I wrote earlier, Hui's strength is on its doorstep, its food and the old city. With little money and effort, that could be used to pry a day off Hui An to see people spend another day in Hui, putting money in the hands of small local-owned businesses. When the director asks for questions, while I have many, I ask about this, but his answer is non-committal. He's very much for building stuff. Lots of stuff. Later, in a telephone conversation with Lipkin, we talk about Alba. Lipkin is, in his own words, obsessed with the environment. He sees himself as a crusader, but from the educative school rather than its sword-wielding cousin. He tells me about his efforts and successes in raising the awareness of his staff around sustainable practices. This isn't just about tree planting, he tells me. Rather, it can be expressed through all facets of the business's operations. He understands that running a resort the size of Alba along sustainable principles will save them money, but quips, it's not about the price, it's about saving the planet. When I say I've seen precious little in the way of sustainable behaviour at properties and rail against tokenism like bamboo straws, Lipkin concurs. He notes that Vietnam and Alba has a ways to go. The resort has plans for solar, but they're not there yet. And on tokenism, he compares sustainability to smoking, meaning as awareness grows, putting up no smoking signs becomes superfluous, as people already know they can't, and so it should be with plastic straws, high-energy light bulbs, and so on. The vast majority of guests at Alba are domestic, and a typical stay is two to three days. But, if he can hook them into a wellness package, then that stay blows out to four or five days. And that's a win for slow travel. To my mind, if you're taking a sustainability view of travel, simple steps like simple steps that could see people staying longer in Huey and staying at small locally owned businesses is a win-win. Hooking up your cart to a plan that calls for new developments in areas that are, for now, wilderness, not so much. With cautious eyes affixed to development-driven disasters elsewhere in the country, you'd think there'd be some rethinking. Yet, for many in Vietnam, tourism remains a byproduct of property speculation. To look more into what development is bringing, I jump back on the train for a few hours and head south to Da Nang for Hoi An. Hoi An Part 1 Tainted Gold Arguably Vietnam's single most popular destination, Hoi An is not my kind of place. I spend half a day on its beach strip which only serves to cement my views. They're an unadulterated mess. Back in town, the UNESCO heritage listing protects its central District 1 area, but 30 years of exploding tourism has wrought similar results as in Laos's Luampabang. The town's pretty lanterns and attractive shopfront architecture, daubed in its colonial yellow, is photogenic, but the vibe is Disneyland. Tailors, cafes, restaurants, travel agents and bars line the Heritage District. 
residences, rele residences relegated to back lanes. Step out of District 1 and you're back in Vietnam with its life, street food and incessant racket. Retreat the same 20 metres and you're battling tour groups of 30 plus. It's jarring and not in a good way. I came to Hoi An in part to see a dog, long story, but thanks to Tet the doggo is in Europe so I have a couple of slack days. My digs are on the right track but at the trailhead rather than the summit and the track is lined with more hotels under construction. Building is everywhere. In my room there's refillable water but the coffee is all disposables. What the manager describes to me as sauna heated water takes so long to arrive I give up. There's also an Instagram prop pretending to be a swimming pool. Staff on the other hand are excellent and the receptionist rains accolades upon management for how they handled staff through the pandemic. Like the town itself, on the sustainability front the hotel is a mixed bag. One morning I meet a tourism insider for a coffee at Espresso Station, the coffee shop pretty much everyone I speak to suggests we meet at. It's set down a lane off Chuan Hung Dao which is to say it's in Vietnam rather than UNESCO land. What is supposed to be a 30 minute chat turns into two hours. We talk about the challenges Hoi An faces, the building, the crowds, the rubbish, but more than anything, we talk about Banna Hills. If you were looking for a central Vietnam version of sustainability hellscape Fukuok, it qualifies, though the local administration prefers to invoke another mess of overdevelopment, nominating it as the Dalat of Da Nang province. Banna's heritage dates back to the French colonial period, when it was popularized as a highland getaway to escape the warmer, warmer coastal climate. Once the colonialists were booted out, their hillside hideout fell into disrepair and, for a short spell following the reopening of the country, it held appeal for exploring the ruins of French folly. That wasn't though to last. In Vietnam, nature can always be improved, particularly if there is a scope for a cable car. Gargantuan developer Sunworld took a shine to the hills and reinvented it to the point the company's name is now affixed to it. No doubt you've seen the photos of the Golden Hands, a 150 meter long viewpoint bridge held up by enormous hands. There are Banna, sorry, I mean Sunworld Banna as is a Disneyland-esque smorgasbord of contrived tourist traps. When not submerged in mist, the viewpoint offers up indeed golden views. I'm being generous here in assuming the golden refers to the view and not the income it earns Sunworld, but the views from what was once National, National Park land didn't come for free from all involved. In a great piece on Vietnam's seeming addiction to cable cars, journalist Govi Snell quotes concerned citizen Bui Huyen Tran on who really paid the ultimate price for the development. More than 60 hectares, 148 acres of forest were flattened, she stated. In the past, Nui Chua was very poetic, stretching forests and diverse birds and animals 
especially the famous indigenous Langer, Langer, sorry. But after the forests were tragically cut down, the animals' habitats were, habitats were reduced and gradually they no longer appeared. The golden hands feature in just about every insta-whatever list for Vietnam, but good luck trying to find stories about their environmental impact. While some world doesn't even bother pretending that anything to do with banana is sustainable, you routinely see it profiled in both domestic and international pieces, purporting to suggest it somehow is. It isn't. Hoi An, real gold. There's, <coughs> excuse me, there's a divergence between what I think eco means and what Vietnam does. In Vietnam, Sin Tai, which roughly translates as ecological, is often affixed to resorts that are in a natural setting. This, in turn, often gets translated into eco-lodge or eco-resort in English, which, well, means something a bit different. Exploring this and looking to find a new Hoi An, I hire a local guide and a motorbike and hit the road. An hour or so inland from Hoi An lie three districts, Hiep Duk, Tien Phuc, and below them Pu Nin, with Ho Pu Nin, an artificial lake that is, that is a supposed eco-zone at its centre. The plan is to visit some historical houses in the first two areas and then visit the lake. I discuss the plan with my guide Tran, who harks from the area. He's optimistic despite the filthy weather. We stick to back roads and it doesn't take long to leave Hoi An behind us. This is the scenery and vibe that has made the country such a great one for motorcycle touring, the scenery ratcheting up as the roads narrow. What I'm hoping for is to find enough to fill a couple of days in order to give people a reason to strike further afield than Hoi An. As things pan out though, the planned two days folds back into one. Some of the houses are closed, another we can't find, a third, according to an old woman by the side of the road, washed away in a storm. Signposting is limited, and when we do reach an open house, approached by the slipperiest goddamn footpath in the country, it only heightens the disappoint disappointment in the others being closed. Surviving the footpath, we interrupt a resident busying himself on a laptop at Huyen Tuk Kang and he packs up to get out of sight. Much like the historic houses in Hoi An, it is pretty and interesting and unlike its better known rel relatives, it feels more living than a museum. As we leave, the laptop guy empties a flooded flower pot onto the footpath covering its slime with a new coating of water. I don't think it was personal. We cut our losses on the old house front and, and keen to see the ecotourism lake, we bike down to Hopunin. Much of the lakeside forest we ride through is working forest, eucalypt, making for a scene that is more striking and sterile than pretty. We reach a pre-lunch stop and relaxing in pl plastic chairs by the water's edge is well pretty. The menu, though, is heavy on unsustainable bush food, and I'm later told the premises are a favourite among officials wanting to do deals out of sight. 
It feels like that kind of joint. It is Tet, and as we have a lunch appointment with trans family, we pass up on the chance for a bush food banquet and leave, riding up the other side of the lake. The beauty goes up a level as the forest is not commercial and has that wild feel I've been hoping for. Looking back at the shimmering blue-green hillsides of Eucalypt, change is closer than the horizon. Tran's family home is a simple affair, a single-floor house opening out onto a yard down more lefts and rights than I care to remember. The spread is already on the way and I sit with his father, sister and two nieces while the last of the barbecuing is finished off. His father's English is as solid as my Vietnamese, so we smile and nod and drink plenty of tea. His sister, though, has good English and she gives me the family history. She lives in the south, just outside Ho Chi Minh City, where she works in the garment industry, but she's back for Tet and her parents are clearly enjoying having their granddaughter back on their turf. We make small talk as the food arrives, entire chickens, dipping sauces, rice, ice beers, and plate after plate of grilled pork. I like my pork, but there is only so much one can eat, and I feign defeat far earlier than Tran. It's a welcome interlude to the riding, and while I feel like I'm intruding on what is a family day, they wouldn't have it any other way. This is the hospitality Vietnam is so famous for. I do feel like we're re-meeting rather than meeting for the first time. As lunch winds down, we take some group photos, a niece posing cheekily, by design I think, as her posing necessitates even more photos. <coughs> Excuse me. Our last stop takes us back to the lake, to an eco-resort that is anything but. I've been warned beforehand to not show up with high expectations, but it sums up the disconnect in my mind. It's green, in that there is some forest around it, but the actual establishment, instaprops and all, is anything but. Rooms are freestanding chalets perched along ridges running down to the water, and sure, it could be worse, I mean... It could be a Sunworld property, but there's nothing environmental nor sustainable to it. Not long after we leave, a friend in Hoi An messages me to ask if I saw the statue of the prehistoric man the hotel has. I'm sad I missed it, but not sad enough to return. On the ride back, I opt for the gun barrel highway that runs from Tam Ki's coastal strip north to Hoi An. It's a great road double carriage nearly the entire way lined with what must be a thousands of palm trees. A little shy of the river, I reach Vin Wonders Nam Hoi An. Between the road and the beach it houses a water park, golf course, river safari park and accommodation. At roughly a kilometre wide and too deep, it is developments exactly like this that have contributed so much damage to destinations like Phu Quoc and yet there's no end in sight. Hoi An, Nuggets of Gold My last morning in Hoi An is very much a case of saving the best till last. I spend an hour chatting to Tam, one of the four owners at An Villa, a small boutique hotel that is walking the talk, and that is everything Vin Wonders isn't. It's a small hotel with 
cottage-style rooms clustered around the free-form swimming pool with a restaurant on the near side. Tam busies herself farewelling what looked to be some very satisfied guests, then walks me through the property, explaining what they're doing and why. Our conversation is a breath of fresh air, and she embodies the mindset of doing something the right way because you wouldn't think to do it any other way. At one stage, we're out back, and she's explaining their waste sorting. They compost what they can, then all else is split, split out into recycling and so on with large colour-coded bins, making it as simple as possible. I ask if the approach saved them money, and she looks at me like I'm an idiot for asking, before smiling and explaining that taking just this step reduced their rubbish collection costs by 70%. Later, in one of the rooms, I'm getting the spiel on those single-use plastic. Unlike another Hoyam property I stayed at that had over 30 pieces in my room, and on the bathroom counter, I see a little glass full of what, to be honest, I first think are ecstasy tablets. Tam tells me that the pills are Dentabs, an alternative to toothpaste. You just pop one in your mouth, chew it, add water and brush. It seems like the smallest of things, but I can't remember the last time I walked down the beach in Bali and didn't see a discarded toothpaste tube. As a property owner, it must feel like the biggest waste of time concentrating on swapping out toothpaste tubes for look-alike ecstasy, while 15 minutes away Vin Whatever is doing everything except burning fluffy bunnies for electricity. And yet, Tam is so matter-of-fact about it, they're doing what they do because it is the right way to do things, and it is saving them money in the process. On the drive back to Da Nang from my train north, I pass by a series of colossal hotels going in between the road and the beach. The water is so close I can see it between the towers, and yet they're going in what must be metres from the high water mark. It isn't just local hotels, many of the international chains are represented. You know, the companies who are forever carrying on about how sustainable they are managing eyesore towers that most likely would not be permitted in their home country. Their hypocrisy and greenwashing grandstanding make me sick. Talking about feeling sick, 30 minutes later I'm chewing through an overpriced Bam Mi at Da Nang train station and I think about Tam with her dentabs and Tet lunch with trans family. Small hospitable operators trying to do the right thing while just up the road, an international wrecking, wrecking ball is totaling the joint. Couchfish is 100% independent and reader-supported. If you're not already a subscriber and you'd like to show your support, become a playing subscriber today for just $7 per month. You can find out more about Couchfish here or simply share this story with a friend. And don't forget, you can find the free podcasts on Apple, Pocket Casts and Spotify, as well as right here on Cartridge.